Well, hello, church. Scott Weatherford again. You know, I, I noticed you guys probably tune in and said, what shirt is he going to wear this week? Well, I've got some favorites, and, you know, I think you see I'm partial to Paisley's. Now, let me just tell you a little story about Paisley's real quick. Paisley's actually originate from the, the place in India called Madras, and they're actually squash, just so you know. And this, this shirt particularly is one of my favorites. I paid a whopping $8 for it. But it's none of your business how much I pay for shirts. But anyway, I thought you would just like to know. Just something to break the ice here on this gathering as we continue the stories of Jesus. So last week we talked about the compassion of God. Now we're going to go deeper with this today because we're going to talk about probably the most famous parable that Jesus told. And that was the parable of the prodigal son. We were flying to Africa. Tara and I were. And this is one of those crazy events where I, we, I flew to Africa, spent 10 days in Rwanda, came back to Texas for five days and flew back to Malawi. In fact, we've got some partnerships with Malawi going on. So you might get to go to Malawi. Just, just saying. And we had a layover, an extended layover in Amsterdam. Now, Amsterdam's an amazing international city. You know, it's and, uh, home of Anne Frank, uh, the canals, the, the Reich Museum. And in the Reich Museum are some, some painters that I just, I mean, I'm crazy about. Van Gogh is one of them. Starry Night's one of my favorite paintings. If I could paint that in, on a mural of that on our wall in our house, I would. Tara won't let me because it's really not my house. It's her house, and it's an extension of her personality, and there's a podcast about that you could watch. Anyway, and, and then the Rembrandts are there. And one of my favorite Rembrandts is this Rembrandt. I want you to take a look at it. And it's the pain, Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. Now, as you're looking at it, I want you to think and look. I want you to see the shadows. I want you to see the, the father. I want you to see his face, his compassion. See the repentant son on his knees. And look back in the distance. You see the older brother. And Rembrandt captured that visual of the prodigal son with such power. So just freeze there a second. Take a look at it. And let it just soak in, and we're going to come back in just a second. So I'll give you a little second look at it. Now, it's captured in such great detail by the master Rembrandt. It captures the emotion. I preach this sermon a lot on the prodigal, and it's the weaving of this piece is so powerful. And every time I pick up it and look at it again, there's another nuance, another level I see, almost like in the Rembrandt painting. In the Reich Museum, I saw this face-to-face. -face. It just saw this, and it just captured my mind. And Jesus told this. He told the story. Now, Jesus told, really, my story to a crowd of folks. I, I, I wasn't even alive. He told your story to a crowd of folks because I believe in retelling this story, you'll find yourself and you can come home. Let me read. Well, let me pray first, then we'll read. Father, thank you for today, and I pray that you'll speak through me as we look at this amazing account of Jesus, how he leaned into a religious crowd and he talked to them just like you're talking to us today. Father, we can see, be so captivated by ritual and religion that we miss this amazing relationship you invite us into. And I pray, Father, you'll speak to us today through this age-old story that has such a modern-day relevance because we are someone in this story. And we pray this in your son's strong name. 
Amen. Now I want to read for you. It's found in Luke. Uh, in fact, it's, it's a part of a trilogy of parables. Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal. Um, during the week, the group material, we're talking about the lost sheep, which is not a bad parable, and the lost coin, which will change your life. How about that? That was funny, wasn't it? All right, okay, let me read the story. And he, also, and he also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. To them. Notice he gave it to both sons. He distributed as if he were dead, gave the estate to both sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck the country and he had nothing. And then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill of the carbopods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. They would even give him pig pods. Hmm. When he came to his senses, he said, How do my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and filled with compassion. Remember we talked about compassion last week? Filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. Ancient men from the ancient world did not run, nor did they show this level of compassion. Jesus was blowing their minds. They were going like, what? He ran? Ooh. Yeah, so he told this to really capture their hearts. Remember, Jesus did everything with intent, and he was the master communicator. And he, and so the son started, and he told him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. No longer will you be called your son. But his father stopped him. His father told the slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because the son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Cue earth, wind, and fire. I mean, party was on. So they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field, and he came near the house, and he heard music and dancing. So he summoned some of the servants and asked for those those what he, things he meant. And his brother, his hearing, told him, and your father slaughtered the fattered calf, and because he has him back safe and sound. And he became angry and didn't want to go in. So the father came out and pleaded with him. Now notice here the father is pursuing him. Really interesting. But he replied to the father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate my friends. But when the son... But when the son of yours who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Son, he said to him, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. Wow. Does that sound like us or what? I mean, we're right there. Now let's look at the heart, the heart of the prodigal. What was going on with this guy, this young guy? And I think this is part of my problem, and maybe yours as well. I don't want to be judgmental, but uh, heart of a prodigal is a heart of rebellion. You know, deep in the heart of every one of us is this desire to do what we want to do, and we want to do it. It's called sin. I, I, I like the fact, I notice the fact that Jesus is intentionality. He says the son squandered his wealth in riotous living, or unworthy living, 
And then the older brother made it even worse, wasted his money on prostitutes. I, you know what? I like, to, I like to exaggerate the sins of others and minimize my own sins. Yeah, I do. Uh, I'm against most sins except for the ones I enjoy. You know, there's a categorization of sins, right? The ones you do, the ones I do. Yours are more serious than mine. Huh. It's a heart of rebellion, a heart of arrogance. Give me what I deserve. Heart of entitlement. We're going to talk a lot about entitlement during this series. In fact, the life group material, we talk a lot about entitlement. And so don't feel so entitled that you don't listen to it. Okay? Just say it. Uh, Thomas Huxley said this. A man's worth, his man's worst difficulties begin when he's able to do just what he likes. Oh, okay. This young prodigal valued his own pleasure and his own possessions over people, over his family, over righteousness. He wanted to do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. Sounds like most two or three year olds, doesn't it? Sounds like most teenagers, doesn't it? Sounds like most 60-year-olds, doesn't it? Huh. Now, I want you to look at the process of repentance. Look at what happened with this prodigal. How this guy, who was rebellious and arrogant and entitled, and he valued his desires over God and over anything else, look at the process God took him through. The realization of being where you not belong. You come to your senses. Um... The word there, metanome, it means to change your mind. When you change your mind, you change your circumstances. What the heart seeks, the eyes see. When the heart is changed, the life is changed. He came to his senses. If only you change your mind, you'll never change your life. You change your heart to change your life. And there's some great I wills there. Those decisions of the heart that shaped his repentance. Listen to this. I will arise. I will get out of my circumstances. I will go to the place of restoration, and I will say. I will say. And he took the long walk of shames back into the arms of not a judgmental, ticked-off dad, but a pursuing, loving, patient father. I'm telling a story later in the life group lessons about, um, about the parable of the talents. And the guy that got one talent who buried it in the ground, he castigated God and questioned his character. He said, you're a hard man. You're a, you're a rough man. You're a, you're a, you're a mean-spirited man. And because he had the wrong view of the Father, where the Father's full of compassion and love. And Jesus was taking the Jewish thought of the angry, distant, karma God and showing him as a loving, merciful, forgiving father. Here this kid comes down the road, smelling like pigs, and you got an old man running to greet him. Wow. So I want you to look at the heart of the father. He understood the free will of the, of the son. He understood that when he came, he said, I want half of what I had. Brokenhearted, he willingly gave it. And, and I say this to you, brokenheartedly, God will allow you to waste your life. Brokenheartedly, he allows you to do that. Because he doesn't force him, forces us. He allows us to choose. Now, you can get caught up in, okay, are we premillennial? Are we pre, we're Calvinist predestination? Are we Armenian? You know, free will, blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, let's don't look at those two views. Let's look at the biblical view. And the biblical view is yes. God in his sovereignty knows who will and who won't. God in his mercy extends it to everyone who will. 
wow, that's the loving heart of the Father. He looks on us with a broken heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God looks on the world, looks on you with a broken heart. And God runs without shame. There's a Phillips Craig and Dean song that says, Mercy came running like a prisoner set free, past all my failures to the point of my need. When I did not deserve mercy, mercy came running to me. That's the story in the heart of a father. It accepted him without restraint. Huh. I love the fact that the kid starts his speech. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called a servant, a son in your sight. Uh, take me in as one of your... Uh, you can say, whoa, 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 stop. He didn't really finish the speech. Immediately restoration. The metanome, the changing of his mind, happened in the field of pigs. And the restoration happened in the arms of a loving father. So maybe your restoration starts in your pill, your pig field eating pods, pig pods. And you come to your senses and you met that known may change your heart. And you run back to the Father. You know, this boy should have been stoned. It says this in Deuteronomy. If a man has a stubborn, rebellious son who does not obey his father or mother, he does not listen to them. Even if they discipline him, his father and mother should take hold of him and bring him to the elders of the city, to the gate of the hometown, and they will say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He doesn't obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard, and all the men of the city will stone him to death. You must purge the evil from you. All of Israel will hear this and be afraid. What? Says it there in Deuteronomy. Wow. And then Jesus tells his story. All of these listeners knew what Deuteronomy said. And they went, this is the displayed compassion of God. He responded, he restored, and then he rejoiced. Listen to this. He, God, has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our offenses. For as high as the heavens above or above the earth, so great is the faithful love towards us who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For we know we are made of dust, remembering that we are dust. We're not, we're not saved by the, are we not saved by the love of God? Are we saved by the grace of God? God loves everyone, but not everyone is saved. Responding to the price of grace brings the gift of salvation. Who said that? Scott Weatherford. Because it's true. We are, not, we are not saved by the love of God. We're saved by the grace of God. God loves everyone, but not everyone is saved. Everyone who responds is saved, but they're still loved. Grace brings the gift of salvation. Let's look at the heart of the older brother. Maybe this is you, rebellious and self-righteous. Oh, wait, the younger dude was rebellious, arrogant. Wait, the other one was arrogant. Yeah, you see, the, the older brother, he desired to be in control. And he said, I'm slave for you, father. He had slave. He had given everything the same time the younger brother got everything. He got everything. He wasn't a slave. He exacerbated his position to put himself in a higher place. It's called borrowing power. He was entitled. Wait, wait, you said the younger brother was entitled. So was the other, for the older. Elitism, entitlement, th elitism, entitlement, and rebellion 
are three of the worst demons in hell. He valued things over people. The younger guy did too. And I see this in the church. We could be so the older brother. Or we could say, well, when you get your act together, you could come to church. Or when you, you could get saved, would you change your mind? And we, we expect people to act saved when they're not saved. And we create Christian cliques and social clubs and golf course, you know, country clubs without golf courses. We do that, and it's just the older brother mentality. And it's despised by God. And the father responded to both boys with the same pursuing love. So we're, before we're quick to judge the older brother, before we're quick to judge the younger brother, let's look at the heart of the father. Wow. Standing in that museum, looking at Jeremiah, uh, excuse me, Rembrandt's portrait. He, Rembrandt also did a portrait of Jeremiah. It's pretty amazing, too. I got to see that. And Nightwatch and a few other masters. But I stood there looking at the prodigal, and I thought, I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. I need Jesus. Don't you? Don't you? Father, I thank you. Thank you that your word penetrates our hearts and the story changes our lives. It changes our perspective. And as we find ourselves in this narrative, we will find your heart and respond to you to change our hearts, to change our lives. Father, I feel like there's some younger brothers who are watching that need to come home to you. They can start their prepared speech now. You cut them off and you say, I accept you as my son. I accept you as my daughter. I accept your, your repentance and I give you my forgiveness. I make you mine. Father, whether they're coming for the first time to come to know you or whether they're coming from a life that's been poorly lived to live differently, I, I thank you that you will accept them. Father, there's some older brothers who are judgmental and hard. They need to do the same thing the youngers do. We need to come to you. And Father, there's some listening that are just like that old dad. They're brokenhearted over rebellious children. Bring our kids back and let us respond to them in love and restoration and wholeness that they may live all for you. And I thank you for what you're going to do. And I pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. Now, what are your next steps? Raise your hand and say, hey, Jesus, I'm yours. And maybe you need to tell us that. Maybe you need to be prayed for. Maybe you need to start a ministry, a microsite in your home. Maybe bring your neighbors in to watch this online experience. You know you could become a part of this church, even though you might live thousands of miles away, by stepping into membership by stepping with and growing, by stepping up and serving, by stepping out and sharing. We have opportunities literally all over the globe that you can, you can jump in on, even though you live far away. You can give generously and support. You can be everything God wants you to be. But most importantly, let your heart be changed so your life is changed. 